You don't succeed, try, try again, which has served me pretty well, at least as far as good to date and girls with blueprints. <laughs> <laughs> of wife hunting. There's this Christian band I really like called the OC Supertones, and in one of their songs called So Great a Salvation, the line goes, I woke up this morning and I just had to thank God for my life. I just read through James' book. I start to pray and I ask God for a wife. So for a long time, I assumed that somewhere secretly hidden inside the book of James was the secret to me finding the wife of my dreams. So I read it quite a few times in my um, teens and early twenties, and it's not there. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. Um, instead, if you read James, it's, it's a pretty short book, you can read it in about 45 minutes or something, but all you get is this really reasonable advice that you don't want to hear. Stuff like, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's James, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. In preparing a sermon on perseverance, I thought about reading the whole of James, chapter 1, and then was just like, nah, stop it. <laughs> um, Consider it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. We don't have to know a whole lot about James or even about the Bible to detect some degree of truth in that. We all kind of know that it's the difficult times in our lives that do a lot to shape who we are. We may not like that, but that's kind of the way it is. Trials build character. James says they produce patience. Patience is one of those fruits of the Spirit, one of those character traits that the Holy Spirit develops and grows in us as we pursue a life of faith. Unfortunately, patience isn't really in hot demand right now. I mean, there was that Guns N' Roses song about it, but that was in like 1988, and I really don't think the youth of today really care about Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Uh, patience, like the band, is kind of out of fashion. And we've kind of got to believe in that trials are abnormal. Because for most of us, most of the time, our life is mostly pretty good. We tend to exaggerate that and assume that life has to be perfect all the time. So we expect to have um, financial comfort, um, perfect physical and mental health. We expect to be in positive <coughs> relationships that are growing and going somewhere with friends and family and partners who are also all perfect. And when something comes along to upset that status quo, we tend to freak out a little bit. But what does James say about that? He says, when you fall into various trials, when, not if, trials are inevitable. The rain falls on the righteous and the wicked, so if you're alive, sooner or later you're going to get rained on. Three years ago at camp, Scotty preached using the image of the Harakeke flex bush as um, this image to describe our church family. The way it works is that in the flex bush, um, new growth 
presents itself in um, shoots that come up in the centre of the plant. And they're young and vulnerable and they require the, um, the older foliage around them for protection. Um, but those new shoots gradually grow and develop and work their way towards the outside and then it's their turn to um, protect those more vulnerable inner shoots. So Scotty presented the question, you know, where do you see yourself in this church body right at the moment? Are you um, in the middle of the plant and kind of vulnerable and needing a bit of protection and support? Or are you sort of closer to the outside where you're able to be strong and give support to others. Now generally, um, in our life of faith, there is that sort of gradual development from the middle to the outside. But it's definitely not a one-way street. If you ask anyone who's been around here for long enough and is fairly invested in this <coughs> church family, everyone gets their turn in the middle and everyone gets their turn on the outside. To be alive is to face trials. But trials are uncomfortable. Sometimes they're painful. But if you're old enough to listen to Guns N' Roses, you'll remember from The Princess Bride that <laughs> life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is... <laughs>
I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. <laughs> I've lost over 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. And then Nike used that as uh, the voiceover for an advertising campaign and succeeded in selling buttload of sneakers. <laughs> Failure can define you if you let it, or it can be for you a really great teacher if you let it. Another surprise bonus of trials is that they bring us together. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, the authors often refer back to the Exodus, this mother of all trials that the people went through that really brought them together and solidified their identity as the nation of Israel and um, the people of God. But what this means for us is that maybe we've got to be willing to share the trial. Some of the people that we're closest with are those with whom we've shared the most. The good things and the bad things. The people who have seen us at our best and at our worst. But anyway, I'm digressing somewhat. Um, trials happen to us all. Every cloud's got a silver lining, blah, blah, blah. I don't think James is that shallow. And as much as we are the church, and are therefore heirs to his message, heirs with an H, heirs to his message, um, he's primarily writing to a specific group of people in specific circumstances. So James, who was not the disciple James, we understand to have been the brother or half-brother or stepbrother of Jesus. He was also a leader or the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So he's like the bishop. We're about 20 years after the death of Christ and the church is undergoing light to medium persecution. <laughs> A lot of Christians have spread out from Jerusalem, particularly to Rome, Alexandria, Cyprus, and a number of cities in Greece and Asia Minor. So they're no longer directly under James's leadership, but he's still kind of on the scene, and he writes them a letter to uh, encourage them and address a few things. He says he sees that they're still struggling a little bit with this persecution thing. And he's like, yeah, cool. 20 centuries of hindsight allow us to observe that very generally the church flourishes under persecution. There's something about being killed for what you believe in that makes you want to be really sure about what those beliefs are. <coughs> in James's day, meeting together publicly in the name of Christ, like we're doing right now, was enough to get you imprisoned and or killed. Now I'm generally pretty open about my faith, and so often uh, my non-Christian friends 
will ask me questions about it. And I really like that because the questions they tend to ask are not the questions that I'm prepared for. So they challenge me. But for me, being into theology is to constantly be looking for a better understanding of who God is and how he operates. So I allow my beliefs to be tested. And either they will stand up to scrutiny and my faith will be strengthened, or they'll be shown to be insufficient and they have to develop and then my faith is strengthened. So it's kind of like a win-win. The faith thing for James is just one part of his letter. What his letter is better known for is James's contribution to the question of where works sit in a justification by faith. But both of those things are just aspects of a deeper issue that he detects. Um, James sees a discrepancy between inner belief and outward action, the roots and the branches. He basically is saying, there's a mismatch between what you believe, or what you say you believe, and what you actually believe, the belief that actually affects anything about your life. And so maybe the reason you're finding all these trials so difficult is that ultimately, deeply, you don't completely understand those things that you say that you believe as Christians. Which is kind of heavy. But maybe he's right. <coughs> because how do we believe in a God who so loved the world that he gave his only son in a Christ who lives within us and is present always but then feels so alone and isolated when the storm clouds of adversity roll in how do we believe in a Christ who was persecuted to death then volunteer to take up our own cross and follow and then be surprised when we're faced with difficulty and persecution ourselves. There's a flaw in that logic somewhere because this is pretty much what we signed up for. Now, I'm not saying that I get this and you don't because I think all of us carry some mix of faith and unfaith. And so we can so well relate to the father of the possessed mute kid in Mark 9 when he says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. He gets it. But what would change in our stance if we truly 100% believed that in our darkest hour, in the very depths of our trial, 
Jesus was there alongside us, suffering with us. What would change if we truly, 100% believed in a God who, through the picture of the cross, showed us the ultimate example of transforming complete defeat into complete victory? Hmm. Finally, 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 um, where's that joy that James is referring to? Because on a basic level, I don't feel a whole lot of joy when I fall into various trials. I just don't. So where is it? The pain that tells us we're alive, the strengthening of friendships, the developing of character and faith, these things are the consolation prizes. They are not the joy. The joy, I think, comes in realizing that we are worth developing. Um, about three years ago, Mason and I were working on a house in Isla Bay. This dude had sunk about $600,000 into a very dilapidated old house. And he was spending about $300,000 more getting us to extend it and renovate it. And throughout this project, the question kind of came up a few times. Wouldn't he be better off to just bowl the house and then have a clean slate on which he could build whatever he wanted, you know, a new house of his dreams. But his answer to that was, I don't want a new house, I want this house. This house has special character. I want this house, but I want it to be the best version of this house that it can be. Now, in reality, that guy was kind of a jerk, and I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> but you get the idea. You have special character. God wants you, but he wants the best version of you. God sees you as being worth developing. And trials are the means by which that process takes place. That's the joy.